Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I'm super excited for this episode because I've met a new friend, Dave Dubow, who is filling a need in the market that I think is very unique and interesting. And I think uh, my audience specifically, I think you guys are really going to appreciate what he has to offer and, and just the program that he's created and what he teaches. So Dave, thank you for being on the show. Big Mike, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well, this is going to be super fun. And um, obviously, we have to dive into the four questions. But Dave has created a five-step money partner formula that really fills a need when it comes to, um, I guess, access and figuring out how to gain capital. You know, there's, there's this gap, I feel, in the market where, you know, a lot of the people that probably listen to the podcast or, or hear us, you know, we're syndicators, we're out raising millions of dollars. But I get questions every single day, like, Mike, how do I how do I get my first deal done? How do I, you know, find money? Um, how do I get started? And I think Dave's going to really help us kind of connect the dots on that. So did I, did I get that close, Dave? You did. And no pressure on me, huh, Mike? I tell you, you're, you're, <laughs> you're pumping my tires pretty good there, buddy. Well, I, you know, in, in fairness, um, I rarely, uh, you know, jump on calls with people that, you know, their team reaches out, but Dave's team reached out and I did a little bit of research and, and I got on a call with him and we just had a great conversation and um, I'm just excited for what he has to offer. So Dave, before we get into that, let's get into the question. So who has had the greatest impact on your life? Bar none, my mother. My mother was the person that had the biggest impact in my life by far. Um, just a wonderful person passed away a few years ago, but even though she was a school teacher her entire life. She was very entrepreneurial. She was involved in real estate investing, built up a portfolio of over 50 rental units in the 70s and 80s when she was raising this snot-nosed kid and uh, really just amazingly supportive. So yeah, I would say my mom. That's cool. And you know, um, I, I have to say the same thing too. My mom was just such a gem and um, made me who I am today. So it's pretty amazing. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what would that be? You know what? I think it's being willing to step out of the comfort zone, Mike. Um, yeah, I, I had an interesting experience as a young guy. I went off to a, a private school for a couple of years and what you guys in, in the States would call middle school. And that had a big impact. That got me away from home, got me away from my normal friends and associates and and got me in with a whole new group of people and kind of create a little bit more independence in me. So I actually ended up after I graduated from university, I ended up living overseas for a number of years. I, I settled down in San Jose, Costa Rica, started a business from scratch down there in, in Latin America um, and, and never have really been too, too afraid of trying new things. So that's, that's probably the, the thing that's had the biggest impact. That's pretty interesting. Um, so where are you from? I didn't realize, I don't think we talked about this. Um, I'm from beautiful British Columbia, Canada. So okay. just up the road and to the left of you, <laughs> a couple of thousand miles. But yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Northern British Columbia and these days live in Southern British Columbia with a bit of time off in Latin America, about 12, 13 years actually. Yeah. So when you went off to a private school and middle school, and if if you don't want to get into this, we don't have to, but what caused that? Was that uh, just better schooling or did you, was that self-inflicted? Well, it was self-inflicted. It was funny because, <laughs> because a friend of mine was getting shipped off to this school and he was going kicking and screaming. And his dad was an amazing sales guy. Hmm. So I can remember they came over to my house and his dad and my dad were buddies. And his dad was busy just talking up a storm about this school, how cool it was, how great it was. My friend was rolling his eyes because he didn't want to go. But I was listening to this and I went, that sounds so cool. That sounds so much better than what I'm doing right now because I was floundering around, not doing very well in school. And I, and I just thought to myself, man, I'd love to go there. 
So I, I convinced my parents and they shipped me off and it was a phenomenal experience. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I thought you were going to tell me you robbed this convenience store or something as a 12 year old. <laughs> that's probably something I would have done. Um, no, it didn't. Nothing, nothing quite that drastic. No. That's great. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Well, Mike, you've been around the block a few times in business and, and in life. And uh, I've got a few gray hairs on what's left of my hair in my head. And, you know, the, the one that sticks out to me was actually back in Costa Rica. I had a language training company there. And within a very short period of time, the crap hit the fan three ways to Sunday. You know how it kind of happens that way. It's not like onesie, twosie things. It's like everything happens all at once. So my business partners split. Um, my wife got pregnant with our, our first child. So we were, we we're having our first baby. Uh, bought a house. A, a key employee, you know, threatened to try to take all my clients away. A couple of other key employees went into cahoots and, and tried to swipe a whole bunch of clients away from me all at the same time. And all of this stuff, oh yeah, and I had a branch office in Panama that collapsed. And all of this stuff happened within about six months. So it was just like this massive, massive amount of stress. Oh yeah, not only that, but our child was born and uh, complications in delivery and my my wife almost almost died, and almost got shipped off to a uh, a mental ward for you know massive postpartum depression, which was you know misdiagnosed and all this stuff. So <laughs> all of this stuff just kind of seemed to happen all at the same time. I can remember the straw that broke the camel's back was when these two uh, employees of mine, who I considered to be really close friends, went into business against me unbeknownst to me, like they kept working for me. And at the same time, we're starting your own business and grabbing all the you know stuff they could for me and client lists and all this kind of stuff. And when that happened, I just, I lost it, man. It was scary. Um, I, I was so frustrated. I was so angry. I mean, talk about thinking dark thoughts and, and making some pretty dark plans. And I tell you, I was in that dark space for three or four months and life was miserable. I mean, I was a miserable SOB to everybody around me. My business was suffering. My personal life was suffering. My marriage was suffering. My health was suffering. Everything was going down the, the, the tubes. And, and I don't consider myself to be a religious person, Mike, but I had an epiphany. I call it my religious experience. I happened to be in a church at the time. I can remember it <laughs> vividly as at a at a buddy's wedding and i can remember you know the only thing that kind of got through my fog was i can remember the poor guy his knee his knees started shaking he almost fainted at the altar so that was kind of that, that was kind of funny uh but during that whole experience i had this sensation a voice whatever came over me and said you know what dave forgive them let it go and move on mm. It wasn't forgive and forget. wasn't wasn't quite that biblical, but it was forgive them. That was the number one thing. Let it go, and move on. And it was an instantaneous hmm. transformation, instantaneous revelation, instantaneous change of mindset. And I tell you what, you know, you hear about the weight of the world being lifted off your shoulder. Mm -hmm. That happened in a fraction of a second. And I I felt like I floated out of that place. My whole attitude changed. Mm. I was a happy guy again. Within a week, I landed the biggest client we'd ever had mm. because I started focusing on my business and I wasn't such a miserable SOB anymore. Um, and it just, and that lesson has always, always stuck with me, right? You're going to get screwed over. Yeah. I mean, just life happens. Yeah. I don't just, I don't let myself get so wrapped up in it anymore. Yeah. It's so true. I was having a conversation earlier and I'll never forget when I, you know, I had started my first business when I was 24, which we talked about on your podcast. Um, but I'll never forget my business partner. He would get so dang mad when, you know, our technicians would leave and start their own business. And um, I heard somebody say one time, uh, and, and it reminded me of him because he would always be like, you know, I just don't think we should invest in training and all this, you know, stuff for them. And then I heard somebody say, uh, kind of the same thing that, you know, people will be like, well, 
what happens if I invest all this money in them and they leave? And then they flipped the question and said, well, what happens if you don't invest in them and they stay, which was kind of pivotal, but on what you just said too, like my business partner used to say all the time, he gets so mad when people would leave and start their own business. And I'd, I'd always just come back to, Hey, remember in 2004, when you and I were working for that other company and we left and started our own business. Um, you know, it's just such which is how I started too, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, and I, I remember literally just being like, you know, it's, it's, a, but it is, it's so hard. And I, it's such a powerful story because as you were saying that, I mean, you had an experience, but also it's what you did with it. And as you were sharing that story, um, I was thinking of the phrase, you know, the hardest thing is to decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that's difficult. But, you know, when you decided, whether through mm-hmm. it was a spiritual experience or you just decided you were going to get over it, I think so many people dwell on that stuff. And the reality is, like, it's only affecting us. I mean, those guys moved on and forgot about you and everything else. And yeah, man. Um, yeah. the hardest thing is to decide. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I, I'm so blessed that I had that experience because it is it has done me in good stead ever since. That's for sure. Yeah. Have you, um, and we don't need to get into specifics, but have you had more experiences like that, that it helped you decide? Yeah, but you know what? I, yeah, I have, I have, but I tell you what, just because I had that, have that philosophy now, I don't really think back on them. It does mm-hmm. it, none of them had any kind of impact like that one did. So yeah. it's uh, you know, water under the bridge a lot faster. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, I try to dissect this cause you know, it was such a powerful experience for you, but, um, I've been pondering this thought, like, you know, when we depression, like literally when we're living in the past mm-hmm. there, there's nothing there. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. There's some good memories and stuff there, but the reality is when we're constantly looking back, somebody said something a while back that depression exists in the, in the past and anxiety exists in the future. And if we just remain present, it's really hard to be unhappy. Um, if you're just here now, like, I mean, you and I having this conversation, it's really challenging to not be happy and, and excited and learn. And so I, that's just really anchoring for me because when we're dwelling on that stuff back there, it doesn't do anything. You said it brother. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. I find myself a little bit too much focused on the future sometimes. So yeah, I'm getting <laughs> centered on, yep. but, I, but I'm, I really don't think about the past hardly at all. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, gone off off we go but yeah keeping keeping present is huge and that's you know that was one of the big takeaways i had from our interview when i interviewed you on on my shows you seem to have that really dialed in like so keep on doing the good work there brother yeah and just you know even on that note like um i think when we dwell on the past you know i've got stuff that i could be upset about but the reality is like what's the point right and so we use it learn from it move on. So why don't, what, what is your podcast called by the way, for the audience so they can go find it? The property profits, real estate podcast, which I is kind it. of a mouthful. So don't try and say it three times quickly. Property <laughs> profits, real estate podcast. Yeah. I enjoyed the intro. I, I noticed that you, you really have that anchored, like, cause it's like <laughs> Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. So go, go over there and uh, check that podcast out. Cause I think you guys are going to like it. So what is the piece of advice you find yourself sharing the most? You know what? It, it, kind of ties in with what we talked about earlier when when I interviewed you Mike about one of our mutually favorite books which is Chet Holmes Ultimate Sales Machine and he talks about pig-headed discipline or pig-headed determination right um and I find it's consistency Con- so I'm I'm big into marketing I I work with people and help them set up marketing for raising capital and, and it's all about constant consistent communication Right. So it's that consistency. It's it's when you start something like you like you've been doing your entire life. But for example, your your podcast, Mike, right? You've got well over a hundred episodes at this point. And the average podcaster, last time I heard, lasts for seven episodes. Seven. <laughs> then they fizzle out, they get the shiny object syndrome, they try something else, or this didn't work fast enough for them, and off they go. And I see so many people do this in different ways in their lives, right? They try something, it doesn't work immediately or or as well as they hoped it would. So they give up on it instead of applying that consistency. So I I guess that would be it. It makes so much sense too, because you look at anybody who has mastered it. And I, you know, I've actually struggled with this because I'm a, I'm, I'm kind of impatient. 
Um, mm. you know, and just realizing it's hard to, when we're outside of our realm and I, I want to shift gears and, and get into, you know, what you teach and coach, but you, we were talking on your podcast a little bit about social media and the thing that I've realized, you know, I've run a lot of successful businesses. I've been in a successful real estate investor, but what I didn't really understand was like the online marketing space. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go out and get in masterminds and be taught. And it's really hard when, when I would hire business consultants and they would say, do X, Y, Z, it made a lot of sense to me. But when I started getting into the online marketing space and social media and people, oh, you got to do this every single day, you got to be consistent. I had a harder time, you know, seeing, you know, Franklin Covey talks about beginning with the end in mind. Okay. I understand that I need to make this happen, but I, I, it's like, was really hard for me to remain consistent. And so I like, I like that. Just, you know, keep showing up, remain consistent. Cause that's what it really takes. And I'm not saying more so in today's day and age, but I think it's harder to understand. I, I think it actually might be more so in today's day and age, Mike, because so there's just so much stuff out there. And there are so many people bouncing around from one thing to the other and the, the, the next best thing and the coolest this and the coolest that. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said with finding one thing and really kind of dialing it in and just just keep going with it, right? I mean, yeah. there, there really is. So, And, and you and I are both big fans of uh, Dan Sullivan and Strategic Coach. And, and I've really become cognizant and aware of the whole who not how idea lately because you know for myself i am a marketer uh that i call myself a marketer anyhow and that's that's kind of what what juices me up but i tell you what a lot of the online marketing quite frankly it changes so quickly i don't have the patience to try and keep up with it all so what i'd rather do is hire somebody who loves that stuff who's good at it get them to do all the nitpicky stuff and just kind of point me in the right direction. And I, whatever it is, creating content or what have you, I can do that till the cows come home, but I don't, I don't worry so much about the, the nitpicky detail type stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, total, total sense. Um, well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit and let's get into I, number one. I, I obviously want to get into what it is that you're currently working on and doing, but why don't you give us a little bit of background? How did you get here? I mean, I understand you went to middle school private, but then what? Yeah, well, then I, I went to university and got a completely useless degree. <laughs> and this was at a time where, you know, jobs were hard to come by. So nobody was throwing me a great job. So that's when I started traveling around Mexico and Central America, settled down in Costa Rica, uh, started a language training company down there, got married, had kids, all that good stuff. I actually dabbled a little bit in real estate while I was in Costa Rica, did a couple of what I guess we would call pre-foreclosure type deals. Mm. Uh, so I did two of those. They worked reasonably well. Didn't even know what the heck I was doing. Um, actually raised a little capital at that point as well without knowing what the heck I was doing. And then in 2003, my wife and I, my Costa Rican wife and I, decided to pack up the kids in the household and take off from Costa Rica and move back to Canada. And a lot of people go, why would you do that, Dave? Because we had a good life down there. We had, you know, yeah. it's a lot easier to have maids and gardeners and gated communities and all that kind of stuff in Latin America than it is in, in North America. Sure. Um, so we, we packed everything up. I hadn't been able to sell my company, so I didn't have very much money. Came back to Canada, moved to a brand new city, no contacts. I'd been gone so long. I didn't have bad credit. I had zero credit. Wow. <laughs> and and I, I'd been self-employed for a long time, so I was, wasn't really employable. Uh, so I had to figure out what I was going to do. And I saw one of those late night infomercials, you know, basically along the lines of you too can get rich in real estate with little or no money down. And I said, perfect. That's what I got. (laughs) (laughs) Set away for it. Got all these binders and stuff went through it. And then I I just took massive action there, Mike. And, and my kind of little claim to fame is I did 18 deals in 18 months. uh, When I, when I first started with these creative things, which, which sounds kind of impressive, if you saw what some of those deals looked like, a few of them were really quite impressive, but most of them were crappy little mobile homes and, you know, crappy little single family home type deals and, and whatnot. Yeah. But it got my, it got me into the game. It uh, kept the lights on, so to speak, and, and, and got me going. So it was a matter of taking massive action with that. I ended up uh, catching the eye of an up and coming real estate guru up here in Canada, kind of 
Canada's version of rich dad, poor dad at the time. And he saw what I was doing and he saw a little bit about my background with marketing and I started working with him. I took some time off from, from real estate, helped him grow his company significantly, fairly quickly. And then uh, jumped back in in 2010, started doing, by that time I had good credit and had a few bucks saved up and I started doing a strategy. I don't know if you've heard it. It's called client first or tenant first rent to own. I don't know if you know anybody doing that. Uh, no. Mike, but basically you, you find a really good tenant buyer who's got some cash, but not great credit, but you can help them get their credit fixed up. You go buy them a house and then you lease option the house to them for two or three years while you help them get lined up for financing. Cool. So I did that for, I, I did my first couple of deals under my own steam. And then like a lot of people ran out of cash and credit. Yeah. And that's when I, I, I jumped in with this whole raising capital thing. And I'd love to say, you know, I took off right from the beginning and had massive success. I didn't, I failed miserably, Mike, uh, really miserably <laughs> because I'd heard, you know, pick up the phone and dial for dollars. I'd never done that before, but I thought, okay, if, if that's what you're supposed to do, I'll try it. Sucked massively at it. I mean, talk about nerve wracking. Just, I can, it still brings, makes me sweat the idea of picking up that phone and, and calling people cold and trying to pitch deals over me the phone. Too. I tried that about 12 times, got rejected 12 times, uh, quit doing it, pouted for a little while. <laughs> and then I'd also heard, hey, you know what, Dave, if you need to raise some capital quick, go out and, and network, network up a storm, schmooze, you know, turn every conversation into a real estate conversation. Use your elevator pitch, your 30-second commercial. I learned all about these things. So I did that. And uh, local chamber of commerce, BNI, Toastmasters, wherever, raised zero capital. Now it's pretty obvious why 2020 hindsight. I was desperate, right? Like I needed, I needed to raise 85 grand. I only had like two weeks before I had to remove subjects. That desperation just oozed out of every pore in my body. Is basically what yeah. happened, right? Yeah. Then I came up with a brilliant idea, Mike. I said, "Hey, if enough, this is such a good deal. If enough people see it, it's going to sell itself." Have you ever heard anybody say that? Yeah. Well, slap them. Yeah. <laughs> hear them say that slap. Right. So here's what I did. One one smart thing I did. I came up with a a list. I, I went through and I brainstormed a list of about 200 people that are already had a pre-existing relationship with. That was smart. But what was stupid was I spammed everybody with my deal. I put together a little PDF and I emailed that to everybody. And I was so excited. I sent that out about seven o'clock at night on a Wednesday. I remember getting up Thursday morning. I was so excited because here were all these replies starting to come into my inbox, right? And then I opened them up, Mike. And basically they all said, hey, Dave, dude, I haven't heard from you in a long time. Yeah. One guy hadn't heard from me in 18 years, Mike. Wow. 18 years. And here the first thing that comes across their inbox is, hey, it's Dave. I got a deal. Have you got any cash? Yeah. Not quite that bad, but basically that was the gist of it, right? Yeah. So they all talk, to, told me to take a hike. Um, I lost that deal. I live in a pretty small city, like nowhere near the size of Austin. We've got that time a population of about 80,000 people. So everybody knows everybody, right? Especially yeah. in the real estate game. So I obviously ticked off my tenant buyer, had to return their $10,000 option fee, ticked off the seller big time, obviously, tied their property up for a while, ticked off the realtor, mortgage broker, everybody, right? So major egg on my face. But here's the worst thing, Mike, because I charged in like that dumb bull in a China shop, I turned off a lot of really good prospective investors, right? Because, yeah. you know, they talk about you never have a second chance to make a good first impression. Well, I really made a bad first impression when it came to raising capital. So I uh, sat back and after the dust settled and I licked my wounds a little bit, I said, you know what? I don't want to be in that position again. This whole, you know, find the the deal, the money will magically find you thing is baloney. Mm -hmm. What if we could apply some intelligent marketing to this process and try and get our investors lined up first before we got the deal? Uh, so I came up with what I call my money partner formula. It took a little while. It was trial and error. Yeah. It worked really well for me when I was doing those rent home deals. I wasn't huge. That was kind of a small business. I raised probably just under a million bucks for, for those kind of deals. And then a few years later, I started getting into uh, passively investing in, in multifamily deals and raised uh, several millions of dollars for those kind of multifamily deals and really saw that there was a need for what I call mom and pops 
to get a little bit of help with getting started with raising capital. I'm not talking about, you know, big time syndicators like yourself and, and some of the folks that you've had on the, on the, on the uh, podcast that are raising tens of millions of dollars. I'm talking about how do you get your first hundred thousand, 500,000, maybe up to a million, $2 million. How do you get that first initial capital and get rolling? So that's what we really focus on. And these days, I've basically got a marketing agency and that's all we do. We work with mom and pop real estate investors and help them get started on their path of raising capital. So let, let's dive into that a little bit. Cause again, I, I, I said this early on, but I think you're feeling, uh, I use a consulting company right now that does a lot of marketing for us and, you know, but it's kind of like the, I feel like there's this grand Canyon. We were talking earlier about, you know, not understand, like we get business, we get the concept of buying a house and renting it out, making a spread, like that all makes sense. But when we get into this wheelhouse and this is what got me so excited, like so many people are like, okay, yeah, I just want to get out there and I want to earn my freedom and start getting passive income and all this stuff. And almost everybody teaches people how, you know, go look at a hundred deals and, you know, put offers on 10 and three and one. And yeah, yeah, yeah everybody's yeah. talking about all that, but you know, so many people hit a wall when it comes to the capital. So let's, let's dive into it. I want to understand um, what does the money partner formula look like? Yeah, perfect, Mike. So first of all, what I always recommend is that you get, I mean, it's a lot easier to raise capital if you got at least a little bit of a track record, right? Mm -hmm. So I always recommend try and get at least one successful deal under your belt, under your own steam, if at all possible right? Then it just makes life a lot easier. So let's assume whoever's listening to this knows what they're doing, knows what strategy they want to do. They know what market they want to focus on. Hopefully they got at least one successful deal under the belt. Now they're ready. They've run out of cash, run out of credit. Now they want to go to the next level. So that's, that's our ideal person that we, we can be talking with here. So what we do, Mike, and here's, here's the the exact process that we walk through with our clients is we start off by thinking, okay, who's the, person most likely to invest with you, right? Who's the person to most likely invest with you at this stage in your career? Because mm. a lot of people go out and they say, hey, you know what? I, I'm just going to find accredited investors. They're going to come to me in droves and, and invest my deals. No, that ain't how it works, right? Because you don't have a track record yet. You haven't worked with any of the investors. You need to get some experience under your belt with investors first before you start scaling up and into that kind of level. So The logical place to start is within your sphere of influence, people that you have a pre-existing relationship with, right? So friends, family members, co-workers, business associates, uh, past and current clients, people you know from church, from civic organizations, kids' schools, you know them, they know you, right? Because correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but in order for somebody to invest 100 grand with you, chances are they're going to need to know you, Mm -hmm. like you, and trust you with your money. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah. So beautiful thing is if we focus on people that you have that pre-existing relationship with, mm-hmm. you've got two out of the three already taken care of. They already know you. Hopefully they already like you. Now we just have to work on that trust factor. Will they trust you with their money to invest in a real estate deal? And that's, we've got two out of those three going. We're well on our way. So what we do is we do a data dump with our clients. We'll get all of their contacts from their cell phone email addresses, social media, all this stuff, get all into one place, merge, plurge, deduplicate that circuit, come up with a clean list and then go through it and take a look at it. And when you see a name, if a face pops into your mind and you like that person, keep them on the list. That's our first kind of whittle it down. So you start with probably 2000 people and then whittle it down to a couple of hundred. And that's what we really want to start with is that target group. But then the second part of this, this phase here is we want to start off on the right foot. So if you remember, I charged in like that bull in a China shop, hey, it's Dave, I got this deal. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. Please, whatever you do, do not do that, right? Learn from my stupid mistake. Here's what you do instead. You want to break the ice with these people first on a personal level before we start talking business. So how do we do this, right? 200 people. You're not going to take 200 people out for coffee. You're not going to make 200 phone calls necessarily. So what we've come up with is a very efficient way to do this, Mike. And what we do is a very simple three email sequence campaign, right? Mm -hmm. The beautiful thing about email is you can create one of them, get a CRM system, email autoresponder, what have you, create one email and send it out to 200 people and it's personalized for each person, Yeah. right? 
So a couple of messages. First couple of messages are kind of like, hey, it's Dave. Chances are it's been a while since we connected. Just want to reach out, say hi, let you know what I've been up to, find out how you're doing. Here's what I've been doing. And here's the trick. We do like a little synopsis of what we've been up to for the last three, four, five years. Yourself, the family, the wife, you know, what's going on with work? What's going on? What's the good stuff? What's some of the not so good stuff? How's the pandemic affected you? But don't leave, don't leave it on a downer. Make sure you always leave it on a, on a high point, like 80, 80, 20, 80% positive, but also a little bit of reality because mm-hmm. everybody's got crap going on in their lives. People, you know, stuff happening, right? Yeah. But here's a big trick. Do not try to subliminally slip real estate stuff in there, right? Unless you're a full-time realtor, role full-time real estate yeah. investor, but then just mention it in passing. Don't, you know, because some people are trying to NLP stuff in there and stick <laughs> stuff under the wire. Don't, don't worry about that yet. And here's the key. At the end of that message, Mike, you say, hey, well, that's what I've been up to. How about you? How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Please hit reply to this email. I'd love to catch up. Nice. And you send that out to all 200 people. You send that out through your email system, not through Gmail or anything like that. You use a CRM or an email autoresponder, right? And some of those, don't worry, not everybody's going to get back to you. But if you're doing this right, you probably should be getting somewhere in the range of 15 to 20 to 30 people replying back to you. And then here's your job. And this is a beautiful thing, right? Because the, the system sends out all these emails. All you have to do is reply to the people that get back to you and have a little bit of a connection there. Go back and forth a little bit because I guarantee this, there is capital in those reconnections. Yeah. Then that first message out, send another one out three or four days after that. As let, we do a different version of it basically and then reply to those folks. And then here's the trick, Mike. The third message, we call this one the transition message. And it gives people the heads up that we're going to switch gears. We're going to start talking business. We're going to start talking real estate. We're excited about real estate. We're doing really well with it. We think it's the best way for everyday folks like us and like them to get a month average return on our money backed by a solid asset. And who knows, Who maybe sometime in the future might even want to partner with me and sharing the profits on a deal. Anyhow, we send out that message, give people the chance to opt out if they'd rather not hear about it. Yeah. Very few people do, Mike. It's, it's surprising. So if you do it right, what we found, and we've done this with hundreds of clients, you'll actually only get three or four or five, maybe on the outside, six people opting out of that campaign if you do it properly, right? And now we're ready to go. Now we've primed the pump. Now we have broken the, uh, broken the ice. We've reconnected with these people. And now we can start doing that constant, consistent communication. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. I love it. And, you know, as you were sharing all that too, I, I have, you know, we've got so many limiting beliefs and doubts in our mind and everything else. And I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, the person that's out there saying, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to, you know, do all that work in the process and it feels unauthentic and all of that. And, you know, to that, I say, it's, it's part of the process and there's nothing inauthentic about it. You, you've actually been inauthentic for years by not just staying connected and being relatable. And I was thinking about it as you were talking about this, I heard somebody saying, I don't know if this is scientific or not, but we can really only manage like traditionally like 120 real core key relationships. Well, in this day and age, like you said it to begin with, I mean, the, it's probably going to start with like 2000 connections. Some people probably have 20,000. And the reality is the way we live today, like people have to get past the fact this isn't, we don't live in little tribes anymore. Like it's a global, it's a global world. And so we have to get past that limiting belief of, you know, I don't want to use a CRM to like keep track of my relationships and all that stuff. And so I love that if I'm hearing you right, you help you help your clients go through this process. You help manage it for well, them. We, well, actually, yeah, we, we pretty much do it all for them. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's, that's our business. Now, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing through technology what we can do. But yeah, we find that most of our clients aren't super techie or they're super busy. They don't want to spend all this time doing it. So we do all the nit gritty stuff for them. They do have to answer the emails. Sure. We can't do that part for them because they need to have that genuine connection. Yeah. But everything else uh, we do for them for sure. Well, and you just solved like what you just said is the answer to that person. That's like, you know, I don't want to be inauthentic. They're not, you're just helping them nurture the sequence and nurture that relationship. And then they have to go back in there and, and continue that through the response. But 
Here's because yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, Mike. And other people have brought that up as well. Is hey, you know what? This feels kind of like bait and switch, like warm and fuzzy, warm and fuzzy, and then switching gears. And now we're talking business. Yeah. You know what? It would be bait and switch if all you did was send out those emails and you never responded to anybody who got back to you. But where the magic is, is in those legitimate reconnections, right? They email you back, you have a little bit of back and forth and you, and, and you catch up, you legitimately reconnect with those people. Yeah. That is where the magic really lies. And quite frankly, Mike, what the heck else are you going to do? Yeah. Right. Cause you're not going to physically reach out to each one of these people. Sometimes people say, well, Dave, maybe I should give each one a call. Well, good luck. Have you called them yet? No, you lost contact with a lot of these people, right? right? If most of us aren't, aren't super good at staying in touch, this is the best way I've ever seen to, for, for most people to make those reconnections. Yeah. Well, and you just brought up a good point. Like if you don't, if, if you don't get into Dave's system and do it this way, you're never going to connect with them anyway. So it's what, what's, what's the pain point. I mean, and if they want to opt out or not respond, they don't have to, but if they re-engage that 30% or whatever the number was that you're talking about, that's huge. That's enormous. And the bottom line is you get to rekindle a relationship that actually existed at some point in time that may never be rekindled if you're not reaching out to them. And this is the last thing I want to say on that. I've realized that, you know, if you, if you have a deal, it's a noble cause to let other people invest with you. They need a return on their capital. And so if, if we're scared to reach out to people and to nurture that sequence and everything else, then I think, I think you really have to ask yourself, like, is any of this for me? Or should I just go back to my W2 job and stay there and spend the rest of my life there? Because um, you're doing something noble and these people actually want to deploy their capital or they wouldn't be responding. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's absolutely right. Like, yeah. <laughs> unless you're willing to do something a little bit different, you're just going to keep getting the results you've been getting so far. And, and that's fine if you're happy with those results, but you want something different, you got to do something different. Right. So totally, um, it's, it's, you know, it's worked for me. It's worked for hundreds of clients that we worked with over the years doing this. Is there the chance that somebody might clue in that this is an automated type thing? Yeah, it can happen. I mean, it's technology isn't perfect, but if somebody says, hey, this looks, looks like it's kind of a, been sent out to a lot of people say, hey, yeah, well, it's the most efficient way I know of to, to get the word out. But all of my replies are personal. Just yeah. be upfront, right? So yeah. you, you don't need to pretend you are something you're not. Well, and in this day and age, I think most people other than maybe great aunt Susie, I think most people know that, you know, we're, I mean, every company in the world uses automated systems to some way, shape or form. And I, I have an automated um, community text, which a lot of my listeners, um, you know, subscribe to, and like, you know, we kick deals or whatever out to them. I actually look at every single one of those texts, but it's not my personal cell phone number. And right. every once in a while, you know, I'll, this literally happened yesterday. This is why I'm bringing it up. So there's one of my, one of my best friends from like middle school. Um, I haven't seen him for, you know, probably 25 years. Yeah. And he texted me on my community text app and, you know, three or four days went by and he's like, what, you too good for me? And he's like saying all this stuff. Right. <laughs> and I, I, I sent, I finally saw it and I sent him a text back and I said, Hey, look, this is kind of like an automated sequence. I do see it. And I do respond. I said, but you know, text me over here. Yeah. Um, Cause it's an existing personal relationship. So worst case scenario, if somebody, you know, your best friend from high school gets on the, the drip campaign and you want to reconnect with them, you know, other ways you can. So What's the well, here's, here's And here's the big difference. Like that, that thing's probably going out to thousands of people, that text thing you're doing. Our email thing's going out to maybe 150, maybe 200 people. Like it's, it's a much smaller group. It's definitely very manageable. Yeah. And what we do show our clients is make sure that when somebody responds to you, you get back to them right away with this, with this warm-up campaign, because that's the whole goal is to make those connections. So, so don't let them, you know, sit for too long. Ideally, you're checking your email once or twice a day just to make sure you get back to people. And again, this isn't this isn't over a super long period of time. We're talking about over a week, a period of a week. So it's it's not that big of a deal. Right. So kind of, you know, fast forward because this is what I was really intrigued about too. So you got somebody, you know, Mike's on your list and it's like, hey, great, great to reconnect. Like yeah. what 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 happens? Well, okay. So this this reconnection thing is not really designed to start pitching deals or getting meetings just yet. My 
big picture, this whole process, the, the goal of it is to get you a meeting with a prospective investor. That's, that's what we're talking about here. But I tell you what, and about half the cases that actually help, happens, Mike, we'll have somebody reach out from that third message and say, hey, Mike, what's this real estate thing you're up to, man? It sounds kind of interesting. So the second part we do for our clients is we make sure that they're ready to go with a really good investor presentation, right? So if somebody puts up their hand, then what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be like the deer with your, with your caught in the headlights, right? So we put together a really good, simple, easy to follow slide deck presentation. Mm -hmm. And the reason I like a, like a PowerPoint or a keynote or Google slides, whatever, whatever you want to use, right? But the reason I like a slide deck, Mike, is because number one, it keeps me on track. Mm. So I don't go off on tangents. You can tell yeah. we, we can go off on tangents. Yeah. Pretty easy, right? Keeps yeah. it, keeps it tight. So we, we don't want to spend much more than 20, 25 minutes going through this max. And it simplifies it. It's much more interesting for the other person. Cause here's the thing I realized a while ago, Mike, and we have to remind ourselves of this all the time. Same, same with your listeners. Most of your prospective investors are not real estate weirdos like us. Yeah. I say that with love and affection, right? right. But we are. <laughs> We are, right? yeah. we're weird. Like yeah. if you talk to us, I call them civilians, right? Somebody who's not into real estate, you talk to them about real estate stuff and they zone out their, you know, their eyes gloss over. They, they yeah. ROIs, IRRs, NOI, all this LTB, yeah. all this stuff confuses the hell out of them and they feel dumb, right? That's the last thing we want to make our investor feel is ignorant or dumb. So we got to simplify this. Yeah. And here's what I call it. I call it, we make it reader's digest level. Yeah. Like you're a younger guy than I am. You might not know it, but did you remember the reader's digest magazine? You remember yeah, those? Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Yeah, man. So that magazine was written for grownups. However, it was written at a 13 year old comprehension and reading level. Hmm. That's the same thing we want to do there. Not because our investors are dummies. It's just because they're busy. Mm -hmm. They're not into real estate investing and we got to keep it super simple. So yeah. we, that's the second part. Let's make sure we got a good presentation in case somebody puts up their hand. And then what we do next is we kickstart the marketing. Constant, what I call constant, consistent communication. And what we want to try and do is touch, reach out, market to these folks on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Send them something once a week. What we do with our clients is the first week of the month, electronic newsletter goes out. Okay, second week of the month, a blog post goes up. Third week of the month, it's a video log. Fourth week of the month, maybe another blog post. So just ding, ding, drip, 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 drip. And then here's the trick, two tricks, important ones. Number one, make your marketing edutaining. Mm. Edutaining. I wish yeah. I came up with that phrase. Somebody else did. I can't remember who, but I love that one. Edutaining. A little bit educational, mm -hmm. just a little bit though, right? Because you got to remember. We're the weirdos, not them. They don't want to know everything we know. Otherwise, they'd be listening to Mike's podcast. They'd be taking the courses. They'd be doing it themselves, right? So a little bit educational, just so they get the gist of it. And hopefully a little bit entertaining, so they don't mind getting your stuff and they open it up on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Does that make sense, Mike? Yes, sir. Then the second part, and this is the part that everybody screws up on. Make sure all of your marketing has a very clear call to action. Mm. Don't assume... The other person's going to connect the dots. Yeah. And just because you sent them an e-zine or whatever, they're going to reach out to you. No. If you want people booking meetings on your calendar, you got to tell them to click on the button and <laughs> book a meeting on their calendar, right? So you got to show them, here's the button, click on it. Let's book a meeting. Let's see if this makes sense for you. And if you do that consistently, constant, consistently, not everybody's going to do it right away, but over time, yeah. the more they see it, the more likely when time and circumstances change for them, when they've seen enough information from you that they know you're serious and and they've created that curiosity they're going to reach out and they're going to do what you want them to do some are more going to do it right away others it'll take a little while yeah what i love about your whole model and i said this at the beginning and i said it when we were on a call the other day like you're filling such a gap that and i think it's a huge gap because i think everybody not everybody because I, I like how you call them civilians <laughs> i love that um what you're talking about, I mean, if you want to go out and nurture a list and build a big list and raise millions of dollars, you're going to have to do the same thing on a larger scale. And that takes time, like a long time. 
most people stop before they even, you know, get moving really. And I love what you've built here because it's, it's digestible and it gets me from where I'm at today, my existing list, taking out the phone, like you've created, there's so many people that would quit and not make it to the other side, but your process, I'm fully convinced that the way that you're holding hands with people, you're going to take so many more people to a point where they're going to continue with that process than anybody ever could. I think more people would quit and get frustrated um, before they even got 10 feet down the road if they don't use your system. It's, it's worked really well. It, it definitely has. We've got investors from all over the free world. We've got tons of clients in the States, Canada, UK, Australia, one guy in South Korea. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it, it works, it, it works wherever, you know, you're in the free world where you can buy and sell properties, right? That's, yeah. that's what it's all about. So yeah, those are, those are the three first steps there, Mike. And, uh, we got a couple other steps, but again, we time flies when we're having fun. So yeah. I'm not sure how much time we've got here. Well, I think we're okay to get to the punchline. Um, so just give us the quick version of the next, like, cause I mean, right. yeah. so, so we started out, we created that target group. We reconnected with them on a personal level. First, second step, we created that investor presentation slide deck. We're ready to go with that. Third step is we kicked the marketing into gear, all this different stuff. Uh, fourth step is to really start working on that trust factor, right? Mm -hmm. No like, and trust. So a lot of people are freaked out and they say, well, how can I, I'm not worthy of raising capital yet. Right. I, I don't have, I'm not like Mike. I haven't done a gazillion deals and I, I don't have this huge track record and all this kind of stuff. Who am I to start raising capital from other people? Well, here's the thing you guys, and this is a statistic I've heard. So take it for what it's worth. I, I can't remember where I heard it, but 95% of the general population has never purchased a revenue property. Mm -hmm. Their own house does not count as revenue property. I'm talking about an investment property. Sure. If you even got one little deal, one yeah. little successful deal under your belt, in my opinion, you are ready to start working with other people and their capital. All right. It's all about, you know, being trustworthy, being reliable, treating their money with respect as if it were your own, right? Mm -hmm. So all of that, I'm, I'm assuming that everybody who's listening to this is a, is a good, solid yeah, human sure. being and not going to get people into crappy deals. But you are worthy. If you've got one deal under your belt, it's kind of like, like, do you remember back in, did you go to kindergarten? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's been a long time for me, man. But I can remember in kindergarten, there I was having nappy time and whatever, basically playing all day. And I can remember the kids in grade three or grade four they seemed like they had it all together, right? They could tie their own shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they could print their names. They could add, subtract, and maybe even divide. It just seemed like rocket science to me into kindergarten. Well, it's the same thing. You got one deal under your belt. You are light years ahead of somebody who's never even thought about doing a deal before. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, awesome. so there's lots of ways to be seen as... We, we want to be seen as an expert in the eyes of our little group of potential investors. Yeah. And it's not that tough. Like Mike, I mean, you've, you've been speaking, you've got a podcast, you've been doing this for decades now. So you don't have to have what Mike has to get going with this. You guys, mm -hmm. here's a few tips for you. Number one, have a sharp website, investor focused website. That's really, really important. That's going to go a long way. That's going to be your online communication hub. That's where people are going to, check you out, do a little bit of due diligence on you before they book the call, all that kind of stuff. So sharp looking site, sharp looking materials. Uh, when you're talking with people about their money, dress up, dress up, business casual. That's my recommendation, right? It'll show them respect and it'll get you respect back from them. I don't care if it's your aunt Sally that's known you and used to, you know, change your diapers. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Dress up. Even if you're meeting her on zoom guys, put on the blazer, look sharp, show her respect. It will, she might rib you a little bit, but she, you will get respect back from her as well. Speak intelligently, intelligently about your strategy and your market and be able to simplify it. Reader's Digest style, keep it super simple. And anytime you have an opportunity, you know, participate in your local RIA, your local real estate investment club, those kind of things. And if you can get on stage, talk a little bit, Mike, you've seen the benefit of this get interviewed on people's podcasts. If you're uptight about that stuff, go to Toastmasters. They'll, sure. they'll get you straightened out and 
about a month and a half, you'll be ready to roll. <laughs> um, all of this stuff just goes a long way. So you don't have to, you know, start off by writing books or starting your own podcast or anything like that. These little steps go a long way. Yeah. And I guess the last, like probably high level question, but do you, if let's say we get to the point where, you know, somebody wants to invest in our deal, do you guys help with that process too? Or is that kind of like somebody else? Well, so, well, we can, we can advise on that, but I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a security specialist. I'm Canadian. So, you know, we got our own security stuff up here, but Securities and Exchange Commission and each state has its own regulatory body and that kind of stuff. So we always recommend make sure that you've got everything dialed in yeah. for how you're going to be structuring your deals. Make sure you get the appropriate legal counsel around that. But we can we can point people in uh, in directions for sure. Yeah. Well, I think I've got my brain around this, but you guys basically, you know, from start to finish, kind of help your clients through it. So how do people get into your world if if they're interested and want to reach out and start having a conversation? Oh, thanks, Mike. So again, the process is called the Money Partner Formula. So the website is called moneypartnerformula.com, moneypartnerformula.com. If you go there, you can poke around, see a little bit about what we do. If you want, you can click on a button and, and book a call. We can have a conversation, see if our services are a good fit for you. Uh, if you want, you can opt in, get a free copy of my book, Money Partner Formula, in exchange for your name and an email address. If you want to join us for a full day workshop where we take a deep dive and and teach you how to do all of this stuff that we've been talking about. Uh, you can join us for one of those as well. Uh, moneypartnerformula.com is the best place to go. Yeah, I love it. And, and again, I, I can't stress enough. I, I think that you're filling this, this gap that's out there. Um, people that want to get going and they just don't know how, and the fact that you've built the entire system and, and help, you know, take their contacts and automate the sequence for them. Super. Oh, cool. we, we set up their website for them. We create their slide deck for them. We, uh, get all their marketing set up, easings, video logs, blog posts, send them out for them. Uh, we we do webinars for them. Yeah, it's definitely a very hands-on system. Yeah. You know, and that's amazing because I've seen even, you know, accredited investors that own 40 properties that have put um, pitch decks in front of me that look like, you know, my my third grader did it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, how many people are just stuck and have just stopped because they they don't know how to do that part of it. And, and so I, I, I was really intrigued when I heard you talk about this. So good job, um, you know, making a way that everyday normal people like us can just go out there and make things happen. So I appreciate your time and uh, you know, just go reach out to Dave if you guys are, are interested and um, appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate you as well. Keep rocking it with the, the podcast and all the great things that you're up to. Thank you, sir. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.